Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Why should you care to learn about attachment? Because if you're learning about how your protective system developed, then you're going to learn what makes you feel threatened, what makes you respond, and how do you regulate yourself. And you can learn that these are real patterned things that you do with everybody. You know how when you break up and you're like, oh my God, every one of my partners has been A, B, or C, and then somebody finally points out to you, you do know you're the only consistent factor there. For all of us, it's because we're doing these repetitive things that we've learned, and we're often looking for partners that fill the familiarity to us. And so when we learn what our protective systems are doing to keep us safe, and that we probably needed that when we were younger. We needed that with our particular caregiver, or we needed it in our environment. But as we grow older, we usually don't need that for survival anymore, but our body doesn't know that. It's continuing to engage in that way. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. This is Sue Marriott. And I'm Ann Kelly. It is sometimes shocking, as in-depth as we always are about talking about attachment and neurobiology, that a lot of people out there don't even know what the heck attachment is. And that's the norm. (laughs) We're so embedded in this in our own brain. It's hard for us to imagine that it isn't just the norm out there. And yet we're the freaks, honestly. Exactly. Well, I wouldn't call us freaks (laughs) um, personally, but but this episode, we're going to go really high level. This will be the start here episode if you don't know anything about attachment. Yeah, those of you just joining the, the podcast or those that have been a long time and you're like, oh my God, really when they talk about attachment, what do they mean? Right. So this is going to be a high level summary. If you're interested, go to the show notes. There's going to be lots of reference there for you to follow up. But we, our idea here is to keep it really simple and quick. <laughs> so what is attachment, Ann Kelly? So that's a surprisingly hard question to answer. No, don't make it complex. (laughs) No. Okay. Detachment's about biology. Attachment is about how we as mammals survive and thrive, how we learn to do that by attaching to our primary people who are caregivers out there to keep us alive. We're born highly social, persistently interpersonal, no matter how big and burly and independent you think you are, actually you're quite interdependent on your fellow beings in the world. And, you know, there's a new study that just came out by the Surgeon General just in the last month or so that shows isolation being this huge, huge risk factor in all the bad things, health, cardiac, longevity, immune system, all the bad things. And This is, we believe, related to flip it the other way. When you have a secure attachment history, 
which going back to Anne's definition, we have this biological response very early on to adapt based on the family we were born into, the culture we were born into, the subculture we were born into. Our bodies very quickly figure out how to keep the parent close and available, then shapes kind of around that about what things to do, what to express, what not to express. And those begin to layer and get embedded in our nervous system that eventually become behaviors that eventually become thoughts about ourselves, how we see ourselves and how we see other people. And then boom, you're in a marriage or in a trouble or whatever. And now it either is going really smoothly (laughs) because you've learned how to emotionally regulate and bring people close. All of this stuff, this is kind of the why. And Anne loves to say, you know, why do people care? We care because these neurological systems and the beliefs that form around them impact us throughout our life. Well, enough said. I think we're done. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good summary. I wish this was live so people could say, "Uh, no, that's not enough or that's too much or whatever. I love how you ended there. Like in a sense, it's like we are social beings, but we have to be social beings. This isn't a choice. It isn't an option. And our incredibly intuitive pre-programmed body knows that from in utero on. And so our wiring, we come predetermined, like you said, ready to kind of figure it out. What do I need to do to keep these people in my life close and caring and nurturing and not too overwhelmed? And the why do you care is because this isn't just, most people when we're talking about attachment, they think of parenting or they think of what happens. And if you don't even have kids out there in the world, why should you care about attachment? It's because it actually informs how you relate in your social relationships right now, your primary relationships, how you are able to bond with them or the struggles you're having. Those are all, not completely, but they are interconnected to how you learned to protect yourself and to connect with other people. You know, one of the things too, to learn what attachment is, is also to talk about what attachment is not. So we aren't saying that attachment is everything. And we're not saying that all your problems are only because of attachment at all. As a matter of fact, used to, they thought if you had an insecure attachment pattern, it was never a diagnosis for a baby. But if the pattern between the infant and the parent was seen as either dismissing or preoccupied. In other words, it was an insecure category that if you were dismissing as a, or avoidant as a baby, that you would grow up to be a dismissing adult. And that if you were preoccupied as a baby, that you would grow up to be a preoccupied adult. And that ends up not to be, exa- I mean, it's very complicated. It's not so direct, but that's good news because the good news means that relationships throughout our lives impact us both positively and negatively. So our brains are constantly adapting to our environment. So just in summary, a quick summary is that this early attachment sets up a trajectory. And if uninterrupted, then if we have developed patterns that unintentionally push people away or assume that people aren't going to be there for us, things like that, If uninterrupted, then that can continue to cause problems in preschool and school age and adolescence with grades, choice of partners, and even your parenting. Again, not directly all the time, but there's a general direction. And what's so cool about that is that it can be interrupted and intervened in any moment, no matter your age, no matter your history, no matter how much therapy you've done or what you've studied. None of that really matters because it's a deeper embodied 
urge and embodied drive to seek closeness and also to protect ourselves, which is, if you think about it, right, that's complicated. How do I get close and be safe? Right. That's, that's kind of screwed up. <laughs> Who designed that? <laughs> And that we have to do both at the same time. We have to. <laughs> we have to like co- our system, our nervous system has to cooperate. And like, I got to let you in, but you know, I want to save my ass. So <laughs> you get more dangerous as you get closer. You can hurt me more. Honestly, we're joking about it, but that is a really complex set of requirements to have intimate relationships, and that's tough. So one of the things also about what attachment isn't, we said it's not everything. It's also not love. Some people equate attachment and love. Like she loved her baby, so it's a positive attachment or something like that. Or there's just a confabulation about that. It's not love. It's it's more about protection. Our attachment systems are only active when we feel threatened. We can look really good, but then when something happens and, and it activates us enough to be scared about our relationship that's when you see the attachment pattern pop up. And I think what's important about that is what does threaten us is not the same. Depending on our early history, what feels threatening to one person is not threatening to the other. And you've mentioned if you've had a secure attachment pattern. So if we were going to back that up for just a second and talk about, we want to stay away from the categories, right? But there are some ways that our body develops in more predictable ways that says this is threatening and this is how you protect. And through the early learning, we can either learn to upregulate, in other words, I need to activate in order to get my needs met and to thrive, my nervous system has to stay really aware of my surroundings, needs to stay in tune and very much emotionally activate up. And that's where we would, might lean towards being more preoccupied or what we call in our podcast red or Did we have this really early learning that says, if I get too emotional and I activate too much, it actually sends people away. So I learned to sort of deactivate the need for other people and head more towards a dismissing or avoidant kind of way of relating to people. But these are not diagnoses. They're not pathology. It's how your nervous system has learned to keep you safe. And so we really want to get away from the idea that one's good or one's bad. It's what is really effective in your environment in your subculture, to keep you thriving and surviving the best way possible. Yeah, to do that, to do that balance dance of both keeping us safe, but keeping us connected. No, I think that that's exactly right. And, you know, Anne said that we want to stay away from categories. And the reason for that is because this early research at 70 years old, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth are the four leaders and the original research was all, it was, it was looking at these mother, baby, and at the time it was mother, that's certainly attachment has expanded since then to, you know, include all kinds of families and family configurations and genders and things like that. But originally those categories were looking at the relationship between the mom and the baby. And it was just for research purposes. This was not designed to be interpreted as diagnosis or as a individual pathology. It was They were looking at groups of babies. So why Anne said that we st- want to stay away from categories is especially if you're thinking of this early attachment research, because it did evolve over time. Again, we're going to keep it simple. So it did evolve and the language changed and things like that. But 
on TikTok and on Instagram and all of those things where you have these really quick, like this is preoccupied attachment and this is dismissing attachment. The problem with that is we are not one thing. Like we are absolutely are not one thing. And the research was not designed that early attachment research was not designed to be used in that way anyway. But it's also not true that we can just look at a list and say, I'm preoccupied or I'm dismissing, or even I'm secure. We're notoriously terrible at self-identifying our attachment strategies. Well, and one reason that is, is because what feels familiar to us, what feels natural to us is what we're going to do. And that doesn't feel like we're being dismissive or preoccupied. It just feels like we're being natural, right? Like if, if we've learned that we need to really watch our environment out there to keep ourselves safe, then staying alert and being able to notice small flaws in our partnerships and being able to feel the need to point it out and correct it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't point at me. (laughs) Is, is a really natural feeling. It's very hard to go inside and say, Oh, that's actually because I'm activated because of my early learning. It's because you're out there being unsafe and it's obvious. And so it's such an integral part of who we are that we often think of these things also as our personality. Like, oh, I'm just, it's just me. But actually, when we learn more, this is the, the part where we say, why should you care? Why should you care to learn about attachment? Because if you're learning about how your protective system developed, then you're going to learn what makes you feel threatened, what makes you respond, and how do you regulate yourself. And you can learn that these are real patterned things that you do with everybody. You know how when you break up and you're like, oh my God, every one of my partners has been A, B, or C, and then somebody finally points out to you, you do know you're the only consistent factor there. For all of us, it's because we're doing these repetitive things that we've learned, and we're often looking for partners that fill the familiarity to us. And so when we learn what our protective systems are doing to keep us safe, and that we probably needed that when we were younger. We needed that with our particular caregiver, or we needed it in our environment. But as we grow older, we usually don't need that for survival anymore, but our body doesn't know that. It's continuing to engage in that way. Because it seems normal, we don't even see it necessarily. And because it's so embodied, we develop stories around the way that our nervous system embodied safety and danger. So when you say embodied, what you're meaning is, is how your body manifests this experience. Right. So there's the very, very early limbic learning that before thought, before words, you know, this happens very, very early before there's any conscious memory for sure. Then you already have your nervous system patterns. And then on top of that, you know, as you age, by age, I mean, two years old, three years old, (laughs) then you begin to form cognitions and thoughts, but the thoughts, they're already, they're forming to make sense of what your natural patterns already are. So that's part of why some of what the research looks at is it's, there's both, this is why that those, when you fill out a little quiz online, those are the stories that have formed about your, that you have consciously about yourself and about relationships, which are important and interesting but they're not the same thing as the original attachment research. Well, and to give you an example, though, when you're saying the embodied story. Oh, yeah, I I got distracted. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) What if your embodied stories may be, let's say your body had learned that too much emotional connection, too much closeness, too much neediness, for example, if you're emotionally expressive, 
and your body learned that that actually pushed people away or your primary caregiver away, it made them shut down or they get angry or they got overwhelmed, then your body learns, oh, when I get emotions, again, I get emotional and I start to cry and I get overwhelmed, I'm actually going to lose connection and that scares the crap out of me. So then my nervous system starts to develop that belief. So what that means is that my body feels threatened when I start to feel emotional that feels horrible. It feels scary. And all sirens say, shut that down, shut that down. But we don't grow up saying, oh, my body learned this as a young age and I'm doing this. What our body grows up doing is people don't like my emotions or it's ridiculous to be emotional. You should be able to contain your emotions. You're just weak. So we tell a story about our body's experience and that story makes sense to us. So if somebody asks us when we're older, our conscious thought we're usually not so aware of the embodied experience. We're aware of the, I can't trust people or people let me down. We're aware. Yeah, don't, don't, don't air your dirty laundry in public. Yeah. Why would you air something? If you reach out for emotional support, that's just weak, you know, fix yourself. You know, I had to do it. You do it. So those are the stories you tell that are based on your body's experience of threat. But what happens is you quit actually feeling the threat. You don't even know it's threat because you've learned to cut it off so easily and so young, not easily, but so automatically and so young, you don't have conscious awareness of that. Especially talking about the pattern that has learned to deactivate, which later ends up being called dismissing, or what Ann and I refer to as kind of blue, a little cooler over there on that side of the spectrum. And we use the spectrum on purpose and we use colors on purpose to get the pathology out of it. Actually, the original research used letters, ABC, you know, so we're kind of picking up that idea of like, this is just describing a tendency, not a diagnosis, that as we begin to lean in that direction, it's not that we're thinking these thoughts, it's that we tell a story to explain what our body is doing, <laughs> that our brain is really there to just create these stories. <laughs> and it's called the default mode network. Many of you have heard that. That's kind of us thinking about ourselves and that's where all the stories lie. And sometimes that can be good and that we're being self-reflective. And sometimes that stuff can go crazy. And that's when we get anxious, we get depressed, we begin to ruminate, we begin to tell stories, we begin to, Anne hasn't responded, she's probably dead. Or those stories that we fill in, that comes from, again, this early learning. This is why, this is, goes back to the, why do you care? Yeah, I love that part. Why do you care? Because if you're, you can be really hard on yourself. If you think that you should be able to just turn this on and off, like if you're ruminating and like, ah, I know not to ruminate, this is ridiculous. I can't quit thinking about how that conversation I had earlier, and I can't keep thinking about all I said wrong or I did wrong in that conversation. I can't get it out of my mind. And then I start getting my mad at myself because I can't get it out of my mind. Oh, that's, that's my favorite loop. Yeah, that little loop. Like, ah, just stop thinking about that. Like, it's so important to understand that this is not a decision you're making. This is your body's response to, I better stay aware and keep rethinking and get it right. Or I'm probably going to get rejected. And this is in one's body. And the reason it, you, it matters is the more you learn about your own specific protection system, the more that you can learn ways to soothe that or to really uh, tell a story to get more of a you know, an accurate story that people aren't really rejecting us. And we can learn to do even you bring up embodiment. That's one reason why some of the body focused therapies out there are considered so effective. It's like teaching you how to tune into that bodied response and to be able to calm it down so that you can then do what we really want to do. And that's activate our connection system, our ability to really stay connected to other people. 
Because when we are in our protection system, it overrides. We can't really feel safe enough to connect and to stay close. And one of the advantages is that when we are in that more secure state, that it buffers us from the stress response system. That's part of how it translates. I think I did already say this, didn't I? Mm, A little bit. You know, you just talked about the protection system and the connection system. And I love talking about it that way. And that when we're in the connection system, it means that our brain is flooded with these really feel good oxytocin and, you know, serotonin. We feel satisfied. We're maybe feel excited, a little dopamine. The neurochemical bath makes us feel safe and open. We're more generous, but it also protects us from stress. So we're more likely to more accurately respond to and not texting me. I will have other ideas about what that could be when I'm in that more secure state. So part of why that another, this is a why, why do we care is because the more we can develop our secure sense of ourselves, regardless of your history or regardless of your therapy or regardless of your PhD, it doesn't matter. But the more that we can develop that secure system and know how to get back there when we're not feeling it, it buffers us from this chronic stress that's going on in our protection system which then translates into all kinds of wonderful things like better sleep, um, better skin, (laughs) better nails. (laughs) Uh, No, but really like cardiovascular health, immunity, even longevity. Okay, now people understand what it is, why it's important. Where do we want to direct them? Like what kinds of things should we point them to? There's introductory things to do to continue this uh, exploration. We keep talking about protection and connection. It'd be interesting to kind of think of the ways that your system is set up about what stresses you. So to question yourself, one of the things to do is to ask, instead of saying, this is just me, what are the four things you say? Describe your personality in a relationship. Instead of just saying, I'm just an independent person, I don't need help. Or I really like committees. You know, I don't like to make a decision without having a committee. (laughs) Right. <laughs> now that one, you're not pointing at me. That one, you, that one you're pointing at yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have those kind of repetitive dynamics, it's a good idea to stop and think, where does this come from? Because what is the threat under that? What is the worry? Like if for me, I'm trying to make a decision. Yeah, if you didn't have a committee. If I didn't have committee, somebody in the room is going to have to go eat dinner somewhere they're disappointed at. They're going to be disappointed. Right. But see, that's the embedded. Exactly. Right. That's the embedded fear. That's the embedded fear. So, okay. But so somebody's disappointed and then what? If you stop and go, somebody's going to be disappointed. Why is that so hard? Why is it hard to imagine your child or your friend being disappointed? And as I say that, think about your nervous system. Don't just think about your brain. Don't think about your thoughts. Think about what feels embodiedly threatening to you. If somebody's disappointed, How has disappointed impacted you in your life? How has other people that are important to you, when they get disappointed, how has it impacted you? What is the fear? Are they going to disappear? Are they going to get overwhelmed? Those are really important pieces of information to be curious about. Another example would be, do you take control in every situation? Do you like have to be the one? Do you have to be the one to pay the check? Do you have to be the one to be in charge? Instead of just saying, I'm just got this personality that's just great at being in charge. These turn out to be strengths, but our strengths usually have the other side. What happens if you're not in charge? Do you then start feeling your nervous system get activated and nervous? Pay attention to your nervous system. So Anne's immediate thought was disappointment, but your reason to use a committee might have a little bit of a different flavor. Like it might be, but if I say what I want, then I'm more exposed. And if I 
put a flag in the ground and say, this is who I am and what I think, that could feel vulnerable for Anne's first thought was about disappointing someone. But this is where it gets fun and interesting. Like for me to not know what I think feels threatening, Mm. right? To be overly influenced by the committee is threatening to you. To be like, I need to know what I'm thinking. I'm not going to be over. I want to know what I'm thinking before I like, but still there's a threat there versus somebody else say who, who does use the committee. Yeah. That was just the first thought I had was like, if you put a flag in the ground, it's really scary. And also, if, you know, we can keep taking this deeper and deeper. Sometimes this goes to grief, all the ways that we've had to not know our own minds or declare ourselves in some way. Like this is not small stuff and this is not something you can just turn on or turn off. This is a process. So another just example of things to do would be to really cultivate a curiosity about how you relate and how others relate to you and your history, like how you got to be where you are now. Because one of the signs of security is you have a real free range of like wondering about these things and you kind of have an interest in it because it really matters. So if you're somebody that's like the past is the past, it doesn't matter. That's actually a sign. And again, we're not confabulating everything into like, not everything is about attachment. You can also be depressed or have obsessive thoughts or, you know, there's lots of diagnoses that aren't even associated with this. But right now we're just talking about attachment. So, you know, like when you're brushing off, like, I'll give you something to cry about, you know, there's, you know, just those things that are not introspective, but are, as a matter of fact, devaluing and dismissing of the process of wondering about things. You know, a lot of times you might say uh, they're overanalyzing, they're overthinking it, that kind of stuff. Well, those are all little signals. And what we would invite you to do is to get more curious and to begin to actually pay attention to what the inner world of your other person and your inner world. And like Anne said, that like sometimes as we begin to shift how we think, then we can feel our heart rate go up. (laughs) Or even maybe you feel your defense go up even more like that's stupid. That's a waste of time. Why go back to the past? Well, okay, now you're fight. Now there's some fight there. It's like what we're saying, the science says, is that a coherent narrative is one of the signs of security. It doesn't cause it, but it just means it's a sign of neural integration. It's a sign of that connection system and the protection system balancing. So how you get a coherent narrative is that you begin to piece things together and be curious and wonder about them. So that what you mean by coherent narrative, a coherent narrative is a story that makes sense on the deepest level that includes your body. It doesn't just, it's just not your head, right? If you just tell yourself I'm independent and I know who I am, that's not a coherent. Yeah, that's not coherent. That's not <laughs> coherent because nobody's independent. In fact, the more independent you think you are, likely the more anxious you are and you're shut down to that anxiety. It's crazy though. We're kind of saying like the more certain you are, <laughs> the more of a problem it is. Well, it's, it's actually kind of true on any level, right? The more, if you're completely uncertain or completely, if you're in either extreme of, I don't have any earthly idea what I'm doing, or I absolutely know what I'm doing, that's a sign of defense. Because when we're in our protection system, there are certain patterns of our protection system that are inherently part of being alive and surviving as a mammal. And one of them is, you have to make really quick decisions. If you're in threat, you can't debate. You can't be curious. You can't wonder why the hell somebody's chasing you. I'm wondering if he's good or bad. You just run. It's just instinctual. So if you are in a very concrete black and white, it's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong, and it's very clear, there's a good chance that that's your protective system moving a little too fast 
in clarifying a two black and white. So one of the signs that you're more in your connection system is that you have curiosity. Why is it so important for me to be independent? Like what would happen if I had to rely on somebody? So if you bring curiosity to these parts of your personality that you say, this is me, and you're going to answer first, well, of course, because I was raised to be secure, right? But flip that on its head. What is so threatening? So if you say, I'm so independent, say, what is so threatening to your body? If you let yourself feel your dependence, and if you really feel that, and those of you out there might be going, oh, shut up, that does, you know, but that little threat in your body when you consider it, that's your nervous system talking to you. And that's what we suggest you listen to. Yeah, that's that tuning in. And Anne, I love that you didn't get into the different ways that we activate, because I think what's just important right now is that we're either, like, just like you said, that we're either in our connection system, which generally, yeah, curiosity is a great sign that you're there. Wonderment. Warmth. Especially like warmth for yourself, like compassion, like, God, this is hard. Or if somebody's doing their thing that they do, that we can see them with care and love and curiosity and compassion. That's all good stuff that we want more of. And that means you're in your, what we would call the green zone. And then all you need to know is like, you're either there or you're not. And when you're not, it's all those other things that you were saying. And I think that's easier than somebody trying to figure out which way that they have activated. And in other podcasts, we go into a lot of detail about the different ways our nervous system, it doesn't have a lot of moves. It only has a few moves. <laughs> then it becomes easy to figure out what move you make and then how to get back to green. So we will be linking a bunch of other shows, episodes, for those of you that want more. We're trying to keep it simple and high level, but I, I just... I love that that being the first thing, right? Like you're either, are you in your protection system or in your connection system and really learning your own signs? And both of those are about attachment, right? Like if you're in your protection system, it may be that you need to be. Like if you feel rigid and you feel, it may be that you are in a culture that is rejecting. It may be that the government around you is trying to suppress you. Yeah, you're being persecuted right. by the government right. because of your gender. So if you have been brought up throughout your life in a way that leaves you in an unsafe, the environment, the system that you're in really literally is threatening, then the system that you're in, the attachment relationship that you have and how you protect yourself and how you connect is probably the perfect adaptation for you. So it's really important to kind of not think of these things as negative, right? Like we're going to, if we have to rely on our protection system, but the key is what we're recommending is no matter what, that you're aware of it. Because if you live in that and you're not aware that you're in your protection system, then it's such a disservice to you. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Oh my gosh, it totally does. And I'm so happy that you brought up about the systems and we can tie that directly back to this thing about that we can't consciously see it. So if you're in a culture that you, the color of your skin makes you a target, for example, so post-colonialism, racism, just being in a racist society is its own trauma. But because it's not identified as that, and it's just, again, seen as normal, what typically will happen is that we would internalize that and make it about ourselves. And so part of what's important about this is to begin to really name and identify some of the traumas and the experience of being overlooked, of being devalued, of all of these things that often are unnamed and maybe even unrecognized because they're just cinnamon in the cinnamon roll. It's just the way it is, the way society is, but it's wrong. And that's all been absorbed into your nervous system. 
So part of this being curious is why do I feel bad about, you know, my gender expression or how my hair looks to really get into that. So being curious about it as a way, again, of having more compassion and protection for your, like healthy protection for yourself, not internalizing negative cultural messages. So this is true, like on the individual level Mm -hmm. and on the societal level. I love that. And that actually is what can be so hopeful. The reason we love doing this podcast is this is not just about explaining who you are. It's about discovering for all of us. We're keep discovering, we're discovering with you. But as we have the curiosity about what we feel and why we feel it, we have more agency. It's about having agency. Security is about how we relate in our community. And as we develop the ability to feel more secure in ourselves and to use these protection systems with more awareness, even if you're highly in your protection system, if you're aware of it, and you're allowing yourself to feel connected to yourself and other people with this awareness, you're working in a secure way. You are working in a secure related position. So even if we're in threat, that doesn't mean that we've popped out of the green zone. You know, and we've done a lot of neurobiology on these podcasts, so we won't go into that right now. But just that what you're saying is being aware, like if I'm aware that I'm defensive, it means that that some of the top of my mind is still active And like, I still have some choice. Am I going to behave defensively or just notice I'm defensive and try not to, or identify what part of me is feeling attacked or what's the threat? Like, in other words, the activation of the wanting to protect ourselves, that in and of itself isn't the thing that pops us out of the green. It's losing our thinking and losing our heart. Like when we're protecting ourselves, we're not connected. Like they go against each other. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's a self-protection which means that, yeah, we, we overestimate what we know. It leads to this whole cascade of kind of individually focused orientation that is actually distorted. And that's a whole other thing that we won't get into today. But literally, when we're in our protection system, the information coming into our bodies is actually distorted because of our threat response. Right. So becoming aware of our threat response and our protection system, we're already getting a more clear narrative. I'm in my protection system. And what's really important about this is also relationship. And I know we should wrap, but what's also important about that is that it's not only our connections to ourselves; it's connections to other people. If we're not aware that we're in our protective system, what are we going to do? We're going to project that on everyone around us. We're going to blame. We're going to defend. We're going to criticize. We're going to feel criticized. We're going to feel righteous. We're going to see them as needy or put ourselves down. And when we really get aware, oh, wait, our protection system makes us shut down emotionally when the other person's upset. It's our protection system. And so therefore, it makes sense that the other person is a little distressed about that rather than you eye roll them or vice versa. So what we're advocating for is that curiosity, that exploration, and the openness. This is non-shaming. This is like you're going to be able to have conversations with your friends, with your partner, with your child that says, I'm just activated rather than you're being blank. Like when you can talk about yourself first rather than identifying the other person first, you're already more in the green, secure way of relating with other people because you're able to have that self-reflection. That's great. That's another walk-away tool is that as you get fired up a little bit when you're noticing, but then Anne's move that she just said, which was rather than going just the lazy way, the natural way is to assume the other person's done something. What we're saying is let's band together. And as we begin to notice a spike in some sort of protection, 
that we go inward first, make the first move inward, like, huh, what's going on with me? Huh, I just, oh, all of a sudden my stomach, you know what I'm saying? Just that move alone is going to help you keep your higher functioning mind going and it'll give you a better chance of staying in the green. So today we're not going to go in all the details of which you mentioned before about what are our more predictable ways of protecting ourselves. But the good news is that as humans, we are very predictable and we develop predictable patterns that can be more easily recognized. We are extremely complex beings, but when you break it down, because we all have our nervous systems and our nervous systems can only do predictable ways of engagement, you can actually learn to recognize things in your system quite readily and much more easily. And your partner system. Oh, you can see how they're lit up. Absolutely. So learning about this, learning about your own system, do I go upregulated more frequently when I feel threat or do I go down and cut off and disappear? Or do I need to shut down emotions or can I not stop being in my emotions? And so one of the things we'd suggest is, is tune into some of the podcasts that we have that will be listed in the show notes that will go into much more detail about the particular ways our nervous system responds. And, you know, whether it be our podcast or, you know, you can learn about attachment almost all over the place. Oh, that's true. Point. That's true. But I will say on our behalf that we have for years now been studying um, that in relational neurobiology and all the more recent findings. And our job here is to make the research apply clinically and apply to your daily life. And if you have been listening from the beginning, you may have noticed that even how we talk about it changes as we keep learning. So podcasts are great. There's so many uh, resources out there. Look in the show notes. Go to therapistuncensored.com backslash episodes. I don't remember what this episode number is going to be. I wish I had it. But you can also just put in the um, in the search term attachment or you can put in uh, relational neurobiology, you know, or you can put it like you can search for anything. So that's great. Yeah, I think you can search for blue, red, and green, I think, on there. And you're yeah. going to get <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Check out the ones on the modern attachment spectrum. I think those, for sure, the later ones are going to incorporate all the new stuff that we've learned. And if it says modern attachment, then we're probably really focusing on that kind of stuff. And then also anything about the spectrum really focuses on this as well. Okay. And if you're still listening, we hope that that means that you have found it interesting or valuable in some way. And if that's the case, we really, the way that help us the most, there's a couple of ways. One is to leave us a review on your podcast player that helps us be discoverable. We read them all and we really appreciate every one of them. The other is you could join in. We have a special online community. We call them there are our neuroner group for our neuro nerds. That's right. Yeah. That's at therapistuncensored.com slash join. And for as little as $5 a month, you get all kinds of uh, extras, including an ad free feed, which is awesome. But also, you know, we do all kinds of things just, I may as well mention since I'm saying like reading groups and often the authors themselves will come in at the end and answer questions. Not always. We've had some of the authors and the original researchers do direct teaching We've led study groups before. There are peer groups. There's all kinds of things that just kind of come up now and then. So yeah, join in. We would love to have you. Not to mention you help get this podcast far and wide to those who might not otherwise get it by supporting us. So, Well, and while we're saying it, we also give a large portion of our corporate, like all the ad sales, we donate that to help mental health access for those traditionally left behind. So we're very happy about that. And you guys are help us do that. All right. Thanks for joining us. 
and we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.